0: Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.
1: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men
0: Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. On August 10th of 1993, a force of nature entered the Supreme Court of the United States. And in the 27 years following her oath of office, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg definitely earned her nickname, the notorious RBG. As the first Jewish woman and the second female justice ever to serve on the Supreme Court, Ginsburg entered the position already a trailblazer, but it was her incomparable work ethic and tireless commitment to gender equality that truly set her apart. Ginsburg was one of only nine women in her Harvard Law School class in 1956. In an interview with the documentary series Makers, she later said, "'You felt in classes as if all eyes were on you, and that if you didn't perform well, you'd be failing not only for yourself, but for all women.'" Ginsburg also attributed part of her success in law school to parenting a 14-month-old daughter at the time of her studies. She was ranked first in her class at Harvard and Columbia, the school she transferred to for her senior year. While Ginsburg had already established herself as an uncommonly accomplished and driven legal powerhouse by the time President Bill Clinton nominated her for the Supreme Court in June of 1993, it was the decisions she made after that that earned her a coveted position that was nothing short of historic. Ginsburg died on September 18th of 2020 of complications from metastatic cancer of the pancreas, but her accomplishments live on. Today, let's talk about three of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most essential Supreme Court cases in which her concurring opinion helped make our country a little bit more just for its citizens. So, after taking some time to settle into her role as an associate justice— Ginsburg began making a name for herself as an advocate for gender equality and women's rights. In 1996, the case of the United States versus Virginia made that clear. At the time, Virginia Military Institute, or VMI, remained the only school that only admitted one gender among Virginia's public institutions of higher learning. Alumni of VMI's citizen-soldier training were considered hot commodities in the job market because the school's unique curriculum was designed to prepare students for leadership positions in both civilian life and military service. Thanks to the competitive edge that the institution gave alumni, VMI had the largest per-student endowment of all public undergraduate institutions in the country. The United States sued VMI and the state of Virginia, alleging that the school's men-only admission policy violated the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause which prohibits states from denying anyone the equal protection of their laws. Virginia argued that the restriction was fair game because women wouldn't be able to handle the rigorous nature of the program. But VMI also attempted to cover its bases by proposing a parallel program for women called the Virginia Women's Institute for Leadership, or VWIL, located at the private all-women liberal arts school, Mary Baldwin College. Ginsburg and the majority on the court weren't convinced. Writing for the seven to one majority, Ginsburg asserted, Virginia maintains that methodological differences are justified by the important differences between men and women in learning and developmental needs. But generalizations about the way women are, estimates of what is appropriate for most women, no longer justify denying opportunity to women whose talent and capacity place them outside the average description. Ginsburg also stated that the VWIL was not an adequate compromise since the court considered it, quote, a pale shadow of VMI in terms of the range of curricular choices and faculty stature, funding, prestige, alumni support, and influence. The school contemplated going private to circumvent the ruling, but its board decided in a close vote, just eight to seven, to finally let women through the doors, thus ending the existence of men-only public universities in America. Of course, the Supreme Court hears all kinds of cases, not just gender issues. But let's talk about Friends of the Earth versus Laidlaw Environmental Services in the year 2000. When Laidlaw Environmental Services, Incorporated bought a wastewater treatment plant, it was granted a National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System permit that granted it permission to discharge treated water and limited pollutants. However, Laidlaw repeatedly released amounts of mercury into South Carolina's North Tiger River that exceeded those limits. And eventually, plaintiff petitioners, friends of the earth, and others filed a citizen suit under the Clean Water Act, which regulates the discharge of pollutants. After the lawsuit began, Laidlaw began to comply with the permit and argued that the case was now moot, meaning resolved, because the company had corrected its wrongdoing. But the Supreme Court wasn't having it. In the 7-2 opinion delivered by Ginsburg, the court held that a case from a citizen for civil penalties does not have to be dismissed as moot just because the defendant begins complying with regulations after litigation has already begun. In part, Ginsburg wrote, A defendant's voluntary cessation of allegedly unlawful contact ordinarily does not suffice to moot a case. Congress has found that civil penalties in the Clean Water Act cases do more than promote immediate compliance. They also deter future violations. And then more recently was the case of Obergefell versus Hodges in 2015. In this case, 14 same-sex couples and two men whose same-sex partners had passed away filed suits in their home states of Michigan, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. At the time, all four of these states defined marriage as a union between one man and one woman. The petitioners said that this narrow definition violated the 14th Amendment because it denied them the right to get married or to have the marriages they'd received in other states legally recognized at home. After the trial courts in each state sided with the plaintiffs, the rulings were appealed in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, where the decisions were reversed— and it was ruled that state bans did not, in fact, violate the couple's 14th Amendment rights to equal protection in due process. This split led to the Supreme Court review. It was a close vote. Ginsburg sided with the 5-4 to four majority in the ruling, which held that same-sex marriage bans are indeed violations of the 14th Amendment's due process and equal protection clauses. And Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote in the majority opinion, the Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, a liberty that includes certain specific rights that allow persons within a lawful realm to define and express their identity. This landmark civil rights case legalized same-sex marriage across the United States, giving hundreds of thousands of LGBTQ plus Americans the same rights and protections guaranteed to heterosexual couples by both the Due Process Clause and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Thanks to Justice Ginsburg for her tireless work in promoting fairness and equality. May her memory be a blessing. Today's episode was written by Michelle Konstantinovsky and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other curious topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke F Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.